0: Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, you can click to that, turn there. If you're using the uh, Bible in the pews, it's on page 976. While you're turning there, we are starting a series this morning on the idea of grace. And to get us started within this, I want to show you a brief video clip from uh, the movie Les Mis. If you are a Broadway, um, if you don't like the movie, like the probably just we're talking about grace, and so go with it. Um, but this is um, this is right after the main character steals a bunch of silver spoons from the church, and I want to I want you to see this scene.
1: I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him! But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and God! I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes, of course I gave him the silverware. Really letting me go? Didn't you understand, the bishop? Madam, you know, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I have ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God.
0: Type of treatment? No, not at all. I mean, that's the very point. What he received was grace. When you hear that word, maybe you think of saying a prayer before a meal. Maybe a meal. Maybe you know somebody with that name. Maybe you see somebody acting cruel or mean toward another person and you say, well, that's not really gracious. This isn't a foreign word to us. But in the Bible, It is a huge word. It is a core word. It is one of the most important words there is in the Bible. It is central to knowing and understanding God. We sang Amazing Grace earlier. Any person on the street probably would not know all the words, but I bet most, even the person that wants nothing to do with God, I bet most would know the song. And many would would maybe even be able to hum along with the melody. The question we want to ask in the series is, why is it so amazing? Why is grace so amazing? Jerry Bridges says, the grace of God is one of the most important subjects in all of Scripture, and at the same time, it is probably one of the least understood. And so we, we need to understand it. We need to understand what grace is. And you might not realize it, you might not want to acknowledge it, but I know the truth about all of us is our souls long to understand grace. Grace, why is it so amazing? This is what we're going to try to discover over the course of this month. And so we're going to, our kind of core text, our main text for today is going to be Ephesians 2.0. 1 to 9. It actually goes into verse 10, but we're going to pick up verse 10 in a couple weeks. So we're just going to look at verses 1 to 9 today. Like we've been doing the last few weeks, I'd like us to read this together. And so the way we've been doing it, if you're new with us um, or haven't been here since we started doing this again, is um, one person, whoever would want to start us off, can read verse 1, and we're just going to read one verse at a time. Whoever wants to read the first verse, read verse 1. Somebody else pick up verse 2 and read verse 2. Whoever wants to read verse 3, nice and loud so we can hear. And we'll go, again, chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 9. You want to start us? Read verse 1. There you go. Chapter 2, verse 1. three.
1: We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the
0: inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature we were children under with draft, as the others were also. We're four. the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. (coughs) For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of words, so that no one may boast. Amen. Mm -hmm. That's good. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's pray, and we're going to see what God has for us this morning. God, we thank you so much for the privilege of being in your presence, for being able to do that with one another. We thank you that you are a gracious God, a loving God, a merciful God, a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful, who is not aloof to us or indifferent to us, but is knowledgeable and in tune with all the details of our lives. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to hear you, that we would know what you're trying to speak, that you would make things clear, that we would see who we are in light of who you are, God. And I pray for all of us that we would receive for what you have for us. I pray, Spirit, you would move in this place or where everybody, where anyone is listening. It's in your name we pray, amen. So why is grace so amazing? Uh, each week, I want to give an answer to that question that helps expand our understanding of it. And the answer for this week that we're going to look at is, grace is amazing because it is free grace, not earned grace. Grace is amazing because it is free grace, not earned grace. And Ephesians 2, 1-9 is one of the most clear and potent explanations of, that we have in Scripture of this reality of grace. I want to use a story, though, that I think is incredibly powerful and beautiful that illustrates the message of Ephesians 2, 1-9. It's not one of my stories. It's actually a story that Jesus told. The story goes like this. There was this guy, older guy, who had two sons. One of them, the younger son, says, Dad, I want to get out of here. I want to do my own thing. Whatever you were going to give me in my inheritance, I want that now. I mean, think about the audacity of that request. Whatever you were going to give me when you die, let's just act like you're dead now, and I want to have it. Give it to me now. The audacity of that. But the dad does it. He gives his son his share. The son takes off. He goes from home far to a faraway land, it says, and he lives it up. He spends. He parties. He lives for the moment. And I'm sure it it was awesome, and I'm sure it was fun. Though he had money, he had no source of money. And eventually, his inheritance ran out. He runs out of money, though, at the worst possible time, because there's a famine coming in the land. So he is desperate. He's got nothing, and he has no one. He can't help himself, and no one will help him. This younger brother is broke, he's destitute, he's ruined, he's hopeless, and he's lost. Ephesians 2 1 to 3 explains that each of us, you and I, every single person, we are the younger brother. We are the younger brother. It talks about our need, that each and every one of us, we are spiritually dead. This is the core reality about each of us that we have to realize. It talks about our trespasses. It talks about our sins. It's because of our tr- the condition that we have. The reason why we're spiritually dead is because of our trespasses and sins. Trespasses is to fall aside. Sin is to miss the mark. You see, God has a design for everyone and for everything. He has a design for every aspect of our lives, for our families, our marriages, our work, our school, our money. God has a design for everything, and God's ways are best. We can never out-plan, out-design, out-come up with life than God. His ways are best. We were made to be in an amazing, loving relationship with Him to experience that design. The problem is, there's something about us that we just want to do our own thing. We want to go our own way. We don't want to trust in the Lord, follow the Lord, submit to Him. We want to do our own thing. And so we go out on our own. And when we go out on our own, we are departing from God's asides. We are designed, we are falling aside from Him. When we do our own thing, we are missing the mark. And we all do this. Every single one of us, this is true about all of us. And that's what Ephesians 2-3, verses 1-3 to are talking about. We go with just our passions and our desires. And other parts of Scripture affirm this. It says in Romans 3, Everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Isaiah 53, 6, all of us, like sheep, have strayed. We have left God's path to follow our own. Every single one of us is spiritually dead, and sin kills. It makes us spiritually dead, and because of that, we are in great need. Ephesians two verse three says that in our sin we are children of wrath. There are consequences of sin. It says in Romans six twenty three the wages of sin is death. Isaiah fifty nine two says but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin does this. There's a destruction that happens because of sin. Sure, we experience good things. We experience happy moments. We have fun. We go on adventures, but the brokenness is there, and the consequences of sin is real. Spiritually speaking, we are the younger brother in the gutter, And like him, our sins make us broken, destitute, ruined, hopeless, and lost. Summarizing Gregory Brown, he explains this about sin, that sin is what makes people capable of doing great wrongs. It's what destroys our relationships with one another. Sin is what destroyed our relationship with God. Sin is why we struggle with fear. Sin is why we blame others rather than taking responsibility for our own actions. Sin is why we go against God and even deny Him. Sin is why creation is broken. Sin is why humanity is broken. Sin is what damns us. Jerry Bridges says, All of us, in a spiritual sense, are dressed in filthy clothes. We are not just guilty before God. We are also corrupted in our natures, polluted and vile before Him. We need forgiveness and cleansing. We have to get to the point where we can personally own the words of the great theologian Taylor Swift, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me. Is that good? You like that? Alexander's our revident Swiftie. I've been waiting to use that quote in this message for a month, and I feel so good about it. <laughs> now, you might be thinking, Dang, Bobby, I thought we were talking about grace. What's all this sin and judgment talk? But we are talking about grace. We are talking about Grace. We can't have a proper understanding of what makes grace so amazing if we don't understand why we need it. Philip Yancey says we cannot find him unless we know we need him. And we have a great, great need. We are spiritually dead. Let's go back to that younger brother. He realizes that he has a great need. He says, the people who work for my dad are probably better off than I am. I'm going to go back and just acknowledge how stupid I've been. And so he heads the long trek back home. Can you imagine that walk home? I mean, it says he's far off. He's not like in the next neighborhood over. He's far away, and he has to come back home. So think about the mental role play and just figuring, going over all this he has in his mind. Man, dad is going to be so ticked. He is going to be angry. He's not going to want anything to do with me. He could have just, he's going to kick me off the property. I know I don't deserve to be brought in. I got to say that. I know I don't deserve this. And just the fear that's going through it. And then his home comes into view. And it's the first time he's seen it since everything has happened. Since he told his dad, I, I, I want you to be dead so I can have your stuff. And what it feels like to see his home. He's getting close, and not only does his home come into view, but his dad is coming into view. And his dad is running. His dad is running. Dads in this culture don't run. This is, they're like, the, they're, the, they're the man in the house. They're the leader. They're in control. They're the authority. They, there's no running. But man, my dad is running toward me. Oh, he is going to kill me? He wanted to run to make sure that he could do it and not just have somebody else be the one. But the dad runs up and grabs him, lifts him up, squeezes the air out of his lungs, kisses his face. And in mind's eye, there are tears running down two sets of cheeks in that moment. While servants are walking up, the younger brother says, Dad, I've wronged you. I've sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But the dad shocks him even more. He tells the servants, go get the best robe in the house and get a ring for his finger and shoes for his feet. Get a party ready because this house is about to celebrate. My son was dead and now he's alive. My son was lost and now he's found. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 7 tell us how spiritually dead people come alive. They tell us how lost people become found. And it comes down to this. It's all about God's grace. He is the one that lovingly rescues and restores us. God's grace. He lovingly rescues and restores us. I purposely have used grace up until this point without defining it. So we probably need to do that. Grace is unmerited benevolence. It is unearned favor. It is Grace is an undeserved gift. Grace is unconditional love toward the unlovely. Jerry Bridges says, Grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. It is God reaching down to people who are in rebellion against him. God is willing, intentionally giving us grace, regardless of anything about us. Why does God show us grace? Because it's who he is. Because that's who he is. Verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. God is merciful. God is loving. God does not become merciful and loving when we clean ourselves up. He's always merciful and loving. God doesn't become merciful and loving if we complete a spiritual checklist. It's not like there's some heavenly version of squid games out there where if we complete a whole bunch of challenges and we win, then he's going to be gracious and loving toward us. God is gracious and loving and merciful all the time because that's who he is. He, God is merciful. God is love. And he chooses to that, be that way toward us regardless of anything about us. How does he show us grace? Well, verse 5, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus' death, his sacrifice. His sacrifice paid our debt. Because of Jesus' death, we have life. There's a show right now that's called The Last of Us, where zombies are ravaging all over the world. And the way that this works, you know, zombie show, there's hope for a cure. But it's not sure if the cure could happen. It seems like a long shot or really hard to put hope in. This is just how it is, and there's no hope. But the opposite isn't true for us. We are the walking dead, we are spiritually dead, but there is a cure. And it isn't a long shot, it's for sure. It isn't a maybe, it's present and it's available. Forgiveness, redemption because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. A cure to our problem isn't a distant hope. It's not a slim chance, it is real and it is now. Scripture explains it, Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, for God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ he went to the cross and every ours everything that makes us spiritually dead everything that makes that true God put that on Christ on the cross he paid the price for our sin and in that in paying that price for us he put his righteousness on us he cleaned us he restored us he made us white as snow Isaiah says and the result of that, with the result of him showing us grace, verse 6, we are raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. When we receive the grace of God, he gives us new life and a true hope. The younger son was given a new robe and a ring. He was reinsta- that meant he was reinstated as a son. He wasn't going to carry around shoes like a servant. He was going to wear them like the family. The father welcomed him home. He embraced him. Even in the stench of his rebellion and everything, being with the pigs and everything, none of that stopped the father from holding on to him and squeezing him and saying, this is my child. That's what God does toward us. Grace is what makes people capable of doing great things. Grace is what restores our relationships with one another. Grace is what restores our relationships with God. Grace is why we can overcome fear. Grace is why we, should t- we take responsibility for our actions and grow to do better. Grace is why we go to run to God and trust him. Grace is why creation is being renewed and grace is why humanity has hope. Grace is what saves us. And the key to all of it is summarized in the first two words in verse 5. But God. But God. You were spiritually dead, but God. We wanted to do our own thing, but God is rich in mercy. We rejected Him and go with our own passions, but God loves us immensely. We are dead in our sin, but God makes us alive with Jesus. We are headed to judgment, but God saves us. We are lost and children of wrath, but God raises us up and gives us a new identity. We are broken and destitute, but God is hope and gives us secure hope for the future. God is the reason why we can be rescued. God is the one, that reason why we can be restored. God's grace is what rescues us and restores us. Again, I know Younger congregation, new to church stuff, just teaching us, growing within the last five minutes for a couple amen moments. And so it's like, yes, amen. So talking about God's grace in that regard, that's a yes kind of a moment. So just helping you out there, all right? Well, yeah, let's go back to Jesus' story. We see in Jesus' story that there's something to celebrate. And so let's go back and see how the celebration goes. The younger brother means there's an older brother, right? He's also walking back to the house. The younger brother had to walk from really far away. The older brother is walking from close by. The younger brother came home from living a life of debauchery and rebellion. The older brother came home from diligently working in the fields. And the older brother gets close. He hears the party and is like, what in the world is going on? He calls over a servant and finds out what's going on. Finds out the reason for this celebration. His brother. He doesn't want to join the party. He doesn't want to celebrate. He is ticked. He's acting. The older brother is acting the way the younger brother probably feared the father would act. Think about, remember I said, let's put our minds in the younger brother as he's coming home and his fear of how the father would respond and then the father throws the party. The younger brother's picking up the slack. The older brother's picking up the slack there. The older brother's acting exactly the way the younger brother feared that the father would. The father comes up trying to calm him down because he's obviously raging and the, the older brother just blows up. How dare you? I have never done what he did. I have worked hard. I've done everything you've wanted. I didn't run off and party or waste everything that you gave or act like you were dead. But when he comes back home, you throw a party for him? The father says to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead. And he is alive. He was lost and is found. And the, you know, the, thinking about this story this week, that what the Father says is really interesting. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. You are, all, you are with me, not because of what you've done, but because you are my son. All that is mine is yours, not because of what you've done, but because you are my son. Your brother doesn't need to earn his way back any more than you needed to earn being able to stay. But he left and he was lost. I thought he was dead, but now he's found. And now I know he's alive, and that's reason to celebrate. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is a correction of the older brother's mindset, and it's a correction for anyone who shares the older brother's mindset. But it's an invitation to all of us By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is the greatest summary of the gospel truth. Grace is received, not earned. The truth of the gospel is that grace is received. It is not earned. It is free grace, not earned grace. We receive the grace of God. We are saved from our, through, from our sins through faith. Faith isn't merely saying, I believe that this information is true. It is not simply a cognitive exercise, checking boxes, saying, yes, I, I understand that. Yes, I understand that. Though that is part of it. There may be things, if we're dishonest, we might not grasp about God. Faith engages our mind, but it's also a position of the heart. Faith is saying, I am aligning myself with the reality of who you are. I am trusting who you are. I am making who I am be who you are. And so Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we believe in our hearts. I want him to be Lord of my life. I am trusting him. 1 Peter 3.18 says, God, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And what faith is basically a saying is, my home is with God. He, who he is, is who I am. It has nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with anything we can or would try to do. And that's why it seems so crazy. That's why God's love seems so nuts. We sang the song earlier, the reckless love of God. And some people get caught up on that idea. God's love is not reckless. He knows exactly what he's doing. But from my perspective, it seems crazy. Because how in the world would you just give me that after everything I've done? How would you give me all of that and I don't have to do anything? That is the reality of God's love. That is the reality of grace. But I just... But let me, let me clean up a little bit. Let me do this. Let me get the house clean before you come over. God knows your house is a mess, and he wants to move in. And you don't have to do anything to make it where he will love you. Nothing that you do will cause him to love you more, and nothing that you've done will cause him to love you less. He loves you perfectly, and that goes against everything we know, humanly speaking. It seems crazy, and the truth is it is, and that is awesome, that is amazing, and that is grace. Philippians, he says, grace costs nothing for the recipients, but everything for the giver. God's grace is not a grandfatherly display of niceness, for it costs the exorbitant price of Calvary. He has paid the price. And he has freely given us the benefits of it. And here's the thing. Every single one of us in here needs his grace. You might think, look at somebody else and think that you're further along than them. You're better than them. You don't have their struggles. You need grace the exact amount that they need. We are all spiritually dead. And nothing that we do changes that reality. Jerry Bridges says, Who needs grace? All of us, the saint as well as the sinner. The most conscientious, dutiful, hard-working Christian needs God's grace as much as the most destitute, hard-living sinner. All of us need the same grace. The sinner does not need more grace than the saint, nor does the immature and undisciplined believer need more than the godly, zealous missionary. We all need the same amount of grace because the currency of our good works is debased and worthless before God. We, we are the one at the meal that says, oh, let me pay for that. Oh, let me do this. Oh. No, and God says, I got it. And you couldn't pick up this check even if you tried. This is what makes Christianity and following Jesus unique. When we start making claims and we start saying things like all, all roads to heaven, it's all the same thing. It's all, that, they don't say the same thing. And This is what makes Christianity unique. The grace of God, his love freely given. Yancey says again, The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. There is nothing that we can do Because he has done everything. We simply have to receive the gift. And so do you receive that today? Will you before God come before him, acknowledging the reality? And this is where we are, the younger brother. I am not even worthy to be called your child. Forgive me. Restore me. I am putting my trust in you, not in myself. I'm putting my trust in your cross, not in my work. I'm putting my trust in who you are, not in who I am. Give me life. Give me forgiveness. Give me peace. Give me hope. And what Romans says is he saves us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let today be the day that you call on him. Grace is amazing because it is free grace, not earned grace. Isaiah 55 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That just seems like a really weird thing to say, right? You with no money, come buy and eat. You with no money, come buy the wine and the milk and eat. But that's grace. We are all broke, and He has given us everything. We are all lost. And he finds us. We are all spiritually dead. And he makes us alive. Today is the day of salvation. Receive his free free gift of grace. Because it's amazing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you save lost younger brothers and sisters. God, we thank you that you love us beyond what we can comprehend. God, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts with the truth of your word I pray God for all the rebuttals that start coming to mind as far as we're not good enough or what about this that you would crush all of those things with the truth of your love we thank you for your sacrifice we thank you for making it possible that lost people could be found that dead people could be alive it's in your name we pray amen we're going to sing this last song together